Uh, what's the worst you've ever been treated? Yeah, I think it's some uh, really hard ones for me. Uh, things that uh, a parent has said, um, but some of the ones that maybe are a little more appropriate for today are when I was a kid. Uh, when I was in third grade, I went to a baseball camp for third to eighth graders, and uh, I've had glasses since kindergarten. And um, at this baseball camp, I had to wear these. Um, they had just come out in the late 80s, and they are called Rec Specs, and they were really kind of clunky. And uh, they were prescription sunglasses that you wore for athletic events. And I went, and I was always always been the biggest kid in my grade. And But I went to a baseball camp for third to eighth graders, and I was in third grade. Uh, and so this was a time when people were actually bigger than me and made fun of me. And I came home every night begging my mom, please, 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 don't make me go back to that baseball camp. And my mom kept making me go back and endure, uh, endure the things said to me because of my glasses. The, the other time was when I was a Young Life leader. Young Life's a ministry for high school, middle school students. And I was in college, I was a Young Life leader at Tate's Creek high school and at Tate's Creek I hung out with the basketball team a lot and uh, I'd go to practices I'd go to games and uh, they were kind of testing me out I wasn't really a coach and uh, so I didn't have any official title they didn't have to respect me and uh, I went in a day after day and they called me things like preacher boy because you know I said Christian denomination that this is the best or Christian ministry that's the best thing they could come up with uh, but it moved eventually onto Jughead which really got to me and um, I didn't want to go back but I kept going back. Those are the kind of jeers that I had to endure. But think about the kinds of things that have been said to you. What are those statements that haunt you? I mean, it's pretty minor, really, when you've got uh, fellow campers and you've got high school students with whom you volunteer saying things about you. But what about the things said to you by people who are supposed to treat you with goodness? See, some of the most painful moments in our life come when those who thought were for us were actually against us. It's really jolting to the system when people flip on you. See, that's what, that flip happened to Jesus. On Sunday, Palm Sunday, those, who, those people who were following Jesus, they cried, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then that same crowd who said those kinds of things flipped on him because Jesus didn't meet their expectations of what a king would be like. They thought their king, the Jewish king, the Messiah was going to come, was going to be the one who would overthrow the Romans. So their songs on Palm Sunday led to a whole series of betrayal that happened during the week. If you were to look at Luke 19, where Palm Sunday happens, and you were to read those next few chapters before the crucifixion, here's some of the betrayals that happened to Jesus. The first one that you see is you'll see that Judas happens. Judas, one of the people that Jesus spent the most, one of the twelve people that Jesus spent the most time with, uh, he takes a bribe from Jewish leaders to betray Jesus. The second thing that happens is that Jesus tells his twelve disciples when they go to the garden, "Will you please pray for me?" And what do they do? They fall asleep. Then Jesus is falsely accused of things he didn't say and didn't do. Then Jesus had the opportunity to be released, but the crowd preferred a murderer over him as the one to be released. And lastly, right before his death, you hear the crowd chant, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It's a really stunning turn of events to go from Palm Sunday where they're waving their palms, they're putting cloaks over the donkey, they're putting cloaks on the ground for Jesus to ride in as king, and now they're screaming, crucify him, and they're falling asleep on him, and they're betraying him. 
and they're denying him. But how does Jesus respond to this? Look how Jesus, he, he knows what it's like when those closest to you reject you. I mean, two of his disciples did boldfacedly, and the other ten did complicitly. And so it's really easy when people are saying, people who are supposed to be for you are actually against you, and it's easy to convince yourself that Jesus doesn't know what that's like. You just think, he's the son of God. He performed miracles. He spoke mad truth. There's no way he knows what it's like to be me, but he does. Just look what happened to him between Palm Sunday and Good Friday. He didn't deserve this kind of treatment. Therefore, he knows what it's like to be on the receiving end of injustice. He can go there with you. And then Jesus responds in our verse in the bulletin. Luke 23, 43. It reads, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's at this point in the gospel accounts, not one of Jesus' betrayers have noticed their folly. None of them have confessed their sin. But Jesus doesn't wait for them to ask for forgiveness. Instead, he grants it. He even gives them an excuse for their sin. Right there in verse 43, you see what it says? He gives them an excuse, for they know not what they do. So Jesus shows he's not locked up in his victimhood. If he was, he would have made his culprits, he would have made them repent as a precondition for his forgiveness. It would show that he'd be bound by his anger. And we really see a great example of this in the civil rights movement. One of the leaders of the civil rights movement, her name's Fannie Lou Hamer, she was beaten to a pulp in a Mississippi jail. She was beaten by whites, and then she was ridiculed for being a, a sharecropper and being illiterate. And years after this incident, she was asked why she never lashed out. And here's what she said. She said, it wouldn't solve any problem for me to hate whites because they hate me. Oh, there's so much hate. Only God can keep the Negro sane. You have to love them white people, for they know not what they do. So is forgiving those who have hurt you sound like the hardest thing that Jesus could ever ask of you? It might be. To extend forgiveness to those who hurt us and oftentimes unaware of even hurting us and then defensive about hurting us, it seems harder than running an Ironman. So what's going to motivate you towards forgiveness with these people? It's when you see yourself in the shoes of Judas, when you see yourself in the shoes of Peter, when you see yourself in the shoes of the sleeping disciples, when you see yourself in the shoes of the crowd chanting, crucify him. That's where you'll get your motivation to forgive those who have hurt you. I know you're hurt. I'm hurt too. I know you're a victim. I'm a victim too. And you've rejected Jesus, and I have too. See, we're also villains. It's the other side of our broken humanity. And what Jesus assumes in the cross is not only the suffering of innocence, but also the wickedness of those who inflict suffering. See, Jesus in his death, what he does is that he makes himself one, not only with our pain, but also with our sin. See, sometimes I'm a victim of other sin, and sometimes I'm the betrayer of Jesus, and most of the time I'm both.
I know this is a lot of negative. And if I were to follow really good American practice today, I'd deny all the negative parts and I'd accentuate only the positive. We'd just go straight from Palm Sunday and to Easter Sunday, and we would never have to pass through Good Friday. But Jesus simply will not allow for that. What happens to Good Friday is that we have to sit in our pain as victims, and we have to sit in our complicity as villains. And Good Friday hurts. And Good Friday hurts because it puts the things that we so badly try to excuse, that we so badly try to forget about, and it puts them right in our face. It puts our pain and our sin before our very eyes. But it's when we embrace the darkness of Friday that Sunday becomes all the sweeter. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love for us. Lord, that you've granted forgiveness before anyone ever even saw their own sin, before they ever repented. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us see ourselves, um, both of those, both as those who have been hurt and both as those who are complicit in your death. We pray these things in your name. Amen.